Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. The TBI now has identified a homicide victim killed more than 30 years ago who may be a victim of what's called the redhead killer. On April 14, 1985, someone found the body of a young woman along Interstate 81 in Greene County. This is a key step forward in an investigation spanning more than three decades. The Jane Doe found on the side of Interstate 75 in Campbell County back in January of 1985 was just one of six that investigators believe is part of a string of murders that's commonly called the red-headed murders. Giving these victims their name back is a step towards giving them their dignity back, but it's not all the justice that they deserve. Anybody with any information to call them at 1-800-TBI-FIND. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is, of course, a slow burn media podcast. As you could tell by the trailer, we will be looking into the case of the Redhead Murders. This case is somewhat obscure from the other serial killings, and hopefully we can shine a spotlight on the victims. The killings of the redheaded women was apparently a thing between 1978 and 1992. The killings stretch across a number of Bible Belt states, and some of the victims still remain unknown. Actually, majority of the victims remain unknown. Investigators do believe that the murders were committed by a serial killer who may or may not have been identified. States such as Tennessee, West Virginia, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and Arkansas were all places where bodies were discovered. Now, Again, the number of victims range between 6 and 11 and also span 14 years. So it's a little hard to determine at this point whether or not this serial killer is one or multiple people. And again, this case is one that has slipped through the cracks of the public zeitgeist due to a variety of reasons, in my opinion. Some of the victims were known drug addicts or street workers, so the authorities may not have realized that they were dealing with a serial killer. And again, this happens because of the fact that, you know, those people don't really have a lot of uh, connections to the community other than the people that they work with, and most often the people they work with don't want to communicate with the police, and that is understandable. So another factor that hindered the investigation is that There wasn't any technology back in 1985 and the mid-80s to really extract DNA. I mean, they basically had to use the old-school fingerprint cards and go along with, uh, you know, the old-school methods of identification. Now, similarities in the crimes came to light in 1985 when investigators from five states started working together and were sharing their notes. And this is when the victims and the investigators realized that the victims all had similar reddish hair, hence the term the redhead murders. 
Now, the officials believe that the women were likely hitchhiking or most likely engaged in some sort of prostitution. Questions still linger, though, regarding the span of the crimes and how many killers or victims are actually related. The first victim discovered was Lisa Nichols, and she was only 28 years old when her body was discovered on September 16, 1984, off of Interstate 40, near the infamous town of West Memphis, Arkansas. Miss Nichols was scarcely dressed, with only a sweater covering her up. Now, she had originally lived in West Virginia, and according to investigators at the time, family members weren't able to be contacted since they didn't initially know her identity. And since the 80s, as I mentioned, the technology just wasn't there. So it took another agonizing nine months to get an identification. She was eventually identified using fingerprints. Most people, in hindsight, believe that she fell victim to the serial killer roaming the area, And according to other reports, some of the things that stood out were her hair color and being found along a highway. There is a reason to believe that she was abducted from a truck stop as she may have been hitchhiking. Now, the next victim would be found less than three months later on January 1st, 1985. And her identity was unknown for more than 30 years. Jellicoe, Tennessee would be the closest city where the body of a bound woman was found just off of Interstate 75. And according to investigators at the time, the body was in such a bad state of decomposition, it was difficult to determine the identity. This led them to believe that she was killed possibly three days prior to being discovered. And an autopsy did show that the victim was a homicide, and it was due to strangulation. The woman was white and had similar hair color to the first victim, Lisa Nichols. The coroner believed the victim was aged anywhere from her late teens to early 20s. One of the differences between the first victim and the second is this person was fully dressed. There was also an attempt to cover up the body by wrapping it up in a blanket. Luckily, DNA would later be found in the blanket and would help investigators three decades later. The Campbell County Jane Doe has now been identified as Tina Marie McKinney. Like McKinney, four of the other five victims were Jane Doe's. That brings us to Linda Shack, who was picked up in Knox County, Tennessee, two months after Farmer's disappearance and death. She was taken to a hotel where she was attacked, survived despite being bound, strangled, and dumped along Interstate 40. Shack was able to give testimony that put a certain suspect behind bars. Like Farmer, Shaq had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her t-shirt, bound, and then was left for dead inside a storm drain under I-40 near Watt Road. Now, like Farmer and the other potential victims of the redhead murders, of course, she also had red hair. Four months would pass before the next body was found. On April 3rd, 1985, the decomposed remains of a woman were found once again near the town of Jellicoe, Tennessee. This victim was determined to have been dead for up to three to four years and was aged anywhere between nine and 15. And according to Fox 59, there were roughly 32 bones, including including her skull, that were recovered from the scene. And police artists were brought in 
to do a facial rebuild using her skull. I'm a little confused by this victim just because of the inability to say when or how she died. I also don't like the fact she was so young. I would say the reason she would be connected to these other crimes is purely because of the location of her body. Now, these items may or may not belong to her. According to Knox News, there were other similarities between this case and that of Tina Farmers and survivor survivor Linda Shacks. Now, much like Farmer, Linda Shack had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her t-shirt. Now, she was bound and left for dead inside a storm drain, as I mentioned. Now, the knot in the cloth was very similar to the knot in a piece of material found tied around the neck of the Campbell County victim, which we now know as Tina Farmer. This is where we get our first suspect, Jerry Leon Johns, a truck driver from Cleveland, Tennessee. And according to AllThingsInteresting.com, quote, On March 6, 1985, a redheaded woman named Linda Shack reported to police that 37-year-old trucker Jerry Leon Johns had attempted to strangle her to death with her own torn t-shirt before being thrown onto the side of the interstate. Now, the Knox News states that the knot in the cloth found in a piece of material found tied around the neck of the Tina Farmer victim was also similar to the material found around Linda's neck. Now, only a few weeks after Jerry Leon Johns attacked Linda Shack, another skeleton was found. On March 31, 1985, a red-haired female was found in Pleasant View, Cheatham County, Tennessee. She was believed to have died between three and five months previously due to an unknown cause. Now, police link her to the redhead murders because her body was found at the side of Interstate 24. Similar to the second victim, she was fully clothed. She was white, five feet tall, and her weight was unable to be determined because she was so decomposed. The thing that I find interesting about this Jane Doe is the fact of her age being older than the victims of the other redhead victims. Now, the coroner believes this particular victim was aged anywhere between 30 and 40. Now, March of 1985 would mark the peak month of bodies being discovered in this particular serial killing spree. Then, just on April 1st, 1985, a woman's body was found inside a refrigerator off of Route 25. The coroner ruled she died from suffocation. Unlike the other victims who were found at the end of March, this woman had been dead for only a few days. And according to NamUs, she was nude except for two distinctive necklace pendants, one of a heart and the other of a gold-colored eagle, as well as two pairs of socks, one white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. Josh Breslow of 18 News says someone may have been using a CB radio to catch a ride. In the 1980s, this was one of the ways people communicated on the road, and however, it was also extremely dangerous, as you would never know who was actually on the other end of the line. And I guess that's not all that dissimilar to the internet today, but there was even less transparency, if that's possible. 
The victim inside the refrigerator, along with the bodies found in September, caught the attention of the national media. And this article was written on April 25th, 1985, in the Orlando Sentinel. And I am going to read it verbatim, because it really puts you into the investigator's shoes at the time. Quote, Investigators probing the murders of at least 11 redheaded hitchhiking women in seven states fear they are on the trail of another serial killer. Dumped near interstates from Pennsylvania through Tennessee and into Arkansas, the unidentified women were thought to be drifters, out of touch with their families. They have been stabbed, strangled, and beaten. Some have been dumped on the ground. One was stuffed into an abandoned refrigerator. Their age ranges from late teens to late 30s. Quote, to me, it reeks of serial murder, said Chris Murphy of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Quote, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. Murphy is handling the unrelated murder of an unidentified woman found near Chattanooga. Unlike his counterparts who are working the redheaded cases, Murphy knows his man is convicted killer Henry Lee Lucas. Lucas, under death sentence in a Texas prison, has recently recanted confessions that linked him and his homosexual lover, Otis Toole. Note to any true crime aficionados, these names are very, very familiar to you. They confessed to more than 300 random killings across the country. Victims were picked, Lucas had told law enforcement officers, during a three-year spree when he and Toole, who at this time faced the death, death penalty in Florida, had wandered the nation's interstate highway system. Lucas and Toole aren't suspects in the redhead murders, though, because they weren't in prison during the time of the killings between September 26th and last Sunday. The latest case of a nude, red-haired woman found stabbed and bludgeoned near Interstate 81 in northeastern Tennessee has investigators back on square one because their only suspect in these cases was sitting in the Knox County Jail in Knoxville. The suspect is Jerry Leon Johns, a Cleveland, Tennessee truck driver who I mentioned before, and he was being held on charges of trying to kill Linda Shack who was picked up at a Knoxville bar. Quote, we don't know what we've got now, unquote, said Steve Watson, deputy director of the TBI. We've got no suspects and few leads. Johns was also in jail when the body of a red-haired woman in her late 30s was found stuffed in, a, in the abandoned refrigerator that we just talked about on April 1st, and that was dumped on the side of U.S. Highway 25 near Corbin, Kentucky. Now, Kentucky investigators aren't sure whether this case fits the others. The woman was asphyxiated, not stabbed or strangled. She was nude, but was older than most of the other victims. Other investigators have similar reservations about a case in Alabama, but there is little doubt that the other cases in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas are linked. Quote, Wherever you have consistent items in several cases you ought to immediately suspect serial killers, said Murphy. As with the identity of Tina Farmer, it would take 30-plus years before a name could be given to this Jane Doe. The Knox County Sheriff's Office announced on October 1st, 2018, the woman 
had been positively identified as Espy Regina Pilgrim of Western North Carolina. Authorities used DNA to determine her identity. The big story, a 33-year-old cold case, possibly connected to several others, got new life this afternoon. Kentucky State Police say DNA test results finally identified a 1985 Knox County murder victim known regionally as the red-headed Jane Doe. Months ago, LEX 18's Connor McHugh introduced you to a woman who believed the Jane Doe was her mom. And as Connor reports tonight, she was right. Standing in a Knox County cemetery, the red-headed Jane Doe's headstone may not be unmarked for much longer. After 33 years, state police say she finally has a name, Espy Regina Black Pilgrim. It's just like she knew, you know. Last year, LEX 18 spoke with Elizabeth Pilgrim of North Carolina. She and her family reached out to state police because they saw a Facebook post about the case and thought the redheaded Jane Doe was her mom. At the time, Pilgrim said this, anticipating positive DNA test results. I want it to be her. I don't want her to be dead. Nobody does, but I kind of want it to be her just for the closure aspect of it. Like, I don't have to wonder and question anymore. In 1985, Espy Regina Black Pilgrim was found dead in a refrigerator in some Knox County woods. Without any identification, she became known as the red-headed Jane Doe. This year, a high school class in East Tennessee said her case could be tied to others. We have decided to name this serial killer the Bible Belt Strangler. After a semester of investigating, the class connected six murders across four southern states. With several police agencies present, they announced it's likely the same man was responsible for all of them. We know you're out there. We know that somebody has information to help find you and hold you accountable. But so far, though they worked with the high school class, investigators have not officially tied Pilgrim's case to any others. Connor McHugh, LEX 18 News. According to reports, there were a number of other possible victims. One of those victims was the naked body of a white female who was found alongside Route 250 on February 13, 1983, near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. Now, what has become a cliche amongst true crime listeners and aficionados, the people who came across the body first thought it was... Guess what? A mannequin. But police believed the body had been placed at the area recently as the snow on the ground was also not on the body. Police said that tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to the site after her death and she was probably killed in another location. And what I can only assume is their examination concluded that she had died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault. Now, her cause of death was undetermined, but her hair was not, as I said, not the same color as the victims in this case. Plus, she had an estimated age range between 35 and 45, which would have fallen well out of the general age of the victims. The coroner noted that the women's legs and underarms were shaven. Now, this would have indicated that she was giving attention to 
certain characteristics of grooming that, you know, certain transients don't. Now, as Wikipedia states, the victim may have been seen alive in Wheeling, West Virginia as an employee or customer at a bar. But it must be noted that the West Virginia authorities are skeptical of whether this victim is related to the other victims in the Redhead murders. Now, this other potential victim was also unidentified for a number of years. Her body was found on April 14, 1985 in Greenville, Green County, Tennessee. She was most likely to have been killed between three and six weeks previously, and the cause of death was blunt force trauma and possibly a stab wound. Now, similar to other cases, her body was also in an advanced state of decomposition. This disabled the ability of the police to obtain her fingerprints, as well as DNA and dental information at the time. Now, some reports state that she had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant before she died, but had miscarried before her death. Now, police investigators believe that she fell into the age range of the other victims. She was also a small woman, standing only about 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighing close to 130 pounds. In spite of having an overbite, she was also uh, one of those victims that had taken a certain amount of care of, of her oral hygiene, and this would indicate that she was, you know, taken care of. And again, she was not identified until November 2018 when officials announced that the victim was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamott. The TBI now has identified a homicide victim killed more than 30 years ago who may be a victim of what's called the Redhead Killer. On April 14, 1985, someone found the body of a young woman along Interstate 81 in Greene County. Investigators submitted a sample of the remains of that victim to a Center for Human Identification in 2006. And this week, the TBI confirmed they found a match. The victim is 17-year-old Elizabeth Lamott. She disappeared from New Hampshire in November of 1984. If you have any knowledge about this woman or the people that she have may, maybe have been with before she died, the TBI does want to hear from you. What I could gather is she was staying at a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and actually never returned to her family once she had regained her freedom. And according to a report, Lamott's family was initially asked for a DNA profile to compare to the adult woman victim of the Bear Brook murders. Now, if you're a podcast listener, you're very familiar with the Bear Brook case. An unidentified girlfriend of the suspect, who went by the alias of Robert Evans, was known by the same first name of Elizabeth. In regards to the Bear Brook murders, so-called Robert Evans was later revealed to be a serial killer, Terry Peter Rasmussen. It is believed that most of the victims are still unidentified due to their transient lifestyles and the possibility of having any living family members. The women were also most likely not native to the states in which they were found. In 1985, not long after the Greene County victim was found, the states of Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi requested that the Federal Bureau of Investigation assist in the cases. And as I've tried to point out throughout this episode, 
is that there are some serious inconsistencies between some of the victims. I acknowledge the differences in characteristics of the crime scenes, and as I mentioned, some were found dressed and others not. Not all the victims had a sexual encounter before their murders. But according to WJHL News, in 2018, students in a sociology class at Elizabethton High School got the chance of a lifetime when they were given the opportunity to examine the cold case of the Redhead murders. And they were able to do this with the help of their instructor. Now, the class who would go on to give this serial killer the moniker the Bible Belt Strangler, the class developed information from an FBI profiler. They described the subject as a white male born between 1936 and 1962 who was likely a commercial truck driver frequenting Interstate 40. They estimated his height and weight to be between 5'9 and 6'2", and his work was likely based near the city of Knoxville, Tennessee. Now again, they were able to put together a profile and present it to the FBI. Now I want to read from an article from WJHL. Quote, Students at Elizabeth high school received an incredible opportunity Tuesday. Their hard work to solve the string of murders dating back to the 1980s caught the attention of the FBI. As of Tuesday, only three of the six victims had been identified. Elizabethton social studies teacher Alex Campbell presented the profile with 11 of his students from his sociology class in spring. Students presented information regarding victims, all white females with red hair or brown hair, Victims, they believe we all were murdered by the same serial killer from 1983 to 1985. Now, Troy Sowers, special agent in charge of FBI Knoxville, described their work as impressive. Quote, these students did the same sort of process we would use when we actually have a case file. So I think it's extraordinary what they were able to put together. Students created a timeline of when and where the victims' bodies were found near major highways. The students believe the serial killer may have been a truck driver who is still alive in the Knoxville area. For Campbell, he hopes the project sends a message to the community. Quote, I want them to know that nobody deserves to die. It doesn't matter what their job is or what their lifestyle is like. And they don't deserve to be forgotten either. News Channel 11's Caroline Corrigan asked the FBI if they believed the murders were connected, and they denied to comment. If you have any information regarding these cases, you are asked to call law enforcement. Now I'm going to play you a clip from the actual broadcast when the students were able to present their case. Area high school students brought a decades-old serial killer case into the national spotlight, and now they've gained the attention of federal investigators. We're talking about the Redhead murders, the suspect also known as the Bible Belt Strangler. The killings that happened back in the 1980s across Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. So far, only three of the six victims have been identified. Two of them right after some Elizabethan high school students presented new information in the case. News Channel 11's Caroline Corrigan was in Knoxville when those students presented their findings to the FBI. With notes in hand and ears wide open, special agents with FBI's field office in Knoxville were briefed Tuesday afternoon on the redhead murders by teenagers from Elizabethan High School. 
It's a series of cold cases from the 1980s. Students presented information regarding six victims, all white with red or brown hair. Victims they believe were all murdered by the same serial killer over a two-year span. They did this solely on open source information. They didn't have any case files. Special agent um, in charge Troy Sowers describes the students' work as impressive. These students did the same sort of process that we would use when we actually have the case file. So I think it's extraordinary what they were able to put together. Students created a timeline of when and where the bodies were found near major highways, which is why students believe the serial killer was a truck driver and is still alive in the Knoxville area. I think he's probably sitting at home watching the news and seeing all this attention and probably reveling in it. Sooner or later, we're going to find out who you are and why you did all this. Students with plans to keep searching until all all the victims are identified and a killer is captured. And for their teacher, Alex Campbell, he hopes this project sends a message. I want them to know that nobody deserves to die. It doesn't matter what their job is or what their lifestyle is like, and they don't deserve to be forgotten either. That was Caroline Corrigan reporting and News Channel 11 asked the FBI if they believe these murders are connected. They denied a comment at this time, but these cases are all still being investigated. If you have any information, contact your local law enforcement. As I stated before, the blanket that was used to wrap Tina Farmer also had DNA on the blanket. And this DNA was used 30 years later to finally bring a suspect to light. We were able to use today's technology to solve yesterday's crimes, but we have to wait on that technology. The long wait is over. After more than 34 years, TBI agents say they solved a cold case. Investigators today named a suspect in the death of Tina Farmer. She was found on New Year's in 1985. And it could also be the break agents need to close a half dozen other murder cases. 10 News reporter Cole Sullivan joins us now with what agents say about the killer and the new technology that led investigators to him. Cole? John, prosecutors can't bring any charges against suspect Jerry Johns. He died four years ago. Investigators say Johns killed Tina Farmer and dumped her body along I-75 in Campbell County. For years, she was a Jane Doe until a positive fingerprint comparison last year. Newly analyzed DNA evidence linked Johns to her murder. The agent who solved the case worked on it for more than a decade. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, a lot of dead ends. Um, but it's, uh, it's been very rewarding to be able to, to call, um, speak to family members, and tell them that we've been able to solve you know, a 34-year-old mystery. Question, how many more mysteries can be solved with this case? Johns was in jail when he died for trying to kill another woman who looked similar, also had red hair. Police say he tried to kill her in the same way, too. She survived and helped send him to jail. Today, the TBI says it has no confirmation of a link to other redhead murders, but it is looking into it.
As the name Jerry Leon Johns became more and more prevalent in the investigation, it definitely caught the media's attention. And another local station was able to identify Johns as Tina Farmer's killer. And here's a clip from the announcement of that identification. It's a major break. TBI agents say they now know who killed Tina Farmer in 1984 and then dumped that redhead on the side of I-75 in Campbell County. Despite knowing her killer, agents say they can't charge him. The suspect died four years ago. Jerry Johns was serving time for trying to kill someone else, someone with red hair like Tina Farmer someone he tried to kill in the very same way, according to FBI and TBI agents. 10 News reporter Cole Sullivan joins us now with the connection between those two cases and the effort to use this cold case as a way to crack a series of cases known as the redhead murders. Cole? John, those are the murders of half a dozen redheaded women dumped along the sides of interstates across the country in the 1980s. The TBI says there isn't yet a firm connection between Johns and those cases, but agents are looking into it. Investigators now have an answer to a 34-year-old question. This hasn't been easy, but we never gave up. The TBI says it knows who killed Tina Marie Farmer. Police found her unidentified body dumped on the side of I-75 near Jellico, New Year's Day, 1985. We know that she had been um, at a truck stop. Uh, Mr. Johns was a long-haul truck driver, and we believe the connection lies somewhere in there. Jerry Johns, convicted later in 1985 for trying to kill a Knox County woman who looked similar, died in 2015. He was a suspect back then, partially because of the similarities between the cases, but police just did not have enough proof. DNA technology changing has made it possible for us to be able to find um, the profile on the items and then that, that match uh, is what made all the difference. Newly tested DNA evidence helped get the indictment. Today's technology to solve yesterday's crimes, but we have to wait on that technology. Now the TBI is working with investigative agencies across the southeast, trying to see if Johns could be responsible for the so-called redhead murders, a string of similar-looking women dumped along the sides of major interstates. I can't tell you um, with any definitive proof that he's involved in any other cases. The agent in charge of the 30-year-old cold case called Farmer's family Thursday after more than a decade, working to find out who killed their loved one. Tell them that we've been able to solve, you know, a 34-year-old mystery. Agent Elkins says the family had mixed emotions. They were happy to have a conclusion, but disappointed no one will be convicted of her killing. John. And, and as you mentioned and reported, Cole, this raises a lot of questions about those redhead murders and perhaps some leads on new cases. Yeah, John, we know that the suspect in this case tried to do it again. That's why he was in jail. The indictment says both women had red hair and he tried to kill them in the same way, leaving their bodies on the side of the interstate. The other redhead murders were also found dead along the side of the interstate. Jerry Johns was a long-haul trucker, but for now, the TBI is only linking him to Tina Farmer. Mm -hmm. It says it does not have anything conclusive on the other cases. Maybe a shred of hope for those families, though, Cole. Thank you. We'll stay on this story. Right now in the 10 News app, we have all of our past coverage of the Redhead murders, how investigators identified the victim with the help of the body farm at UT, the other unsolved cases, and the podcast featuring the killings. The podcast that the anchor is promoting there is 
a podcast called True Crime Chronicles, and it is a Vault Studios production. And Tegna is also involved. Now, this is a good example for a local media company or a national media conglomerate such as Tegna to be able to acknowledge the importance of podcasts, unlike certain media affiliates in certain cities, they actually take the time to care about the cases and take a deeper dive into some of these unsolved and unknown cases such as the Redhead Murders. So I do have to say kudos to Tegna and Vault Studios for keeping their attention on an upcoming industry, a budding industry to be honest, that let's just say other companies just seem to disregard. So not that I have any personal experience with this or anything, but just saying. Anyway, back to the story. Actually brought in to hear evidence as part of the investigation into the murder of Tina Farmer. And they were able to determine that if Jerry Leon Johns had been alive today, he would most likely have been indicted on the charge of first-degree murder. Now, District Attorney General Jared Effler said, Quote, while I'm extremely disappointed that this case has not ended in the prosecution of Jerry Johns, I am pleased that this investigation has answered questions for Miss Farmer's family that heretofore had gone unanswered for 34 years. Quote, we hope this will help provide long-sought answers for Tina Farmer's family. We also think this case will provide hope for other families in our state who are still waiting for answers. Our team will never give up on unsolved cases like this one as long as there are viable leads to follow, unquote. Now, given the timing of the farmer killing and the connection to the redhead murders, it is only common for one to connect the dots. As I stated before, after Johns was arrested for the assault on Linda Shack, police said they did not believe he was the redhead killer due to his quote-unquote airtight alibis. Now, I only came across one un other possible suspect, and he was another truck driver, and he was from Pennsylvania. Now, police did question this individual after kidnapping and raping a young woman in Indiana, and this is where they determined that he was most likely not the redhead serial killer, because unlike Shaq's case, this woman was able to escape the same bodily harm, and Tennessee police have dismissed this suspect from the investigation after he was questioned. He's never been mentioned again in connection to the Redhead murders, so he's kind of an outlier. So, if you're going to sit here and take a wild guess on who killed the Redhead victims, it would probably be safe to assume Jerry Leon Johns is still the best suspect. This in spite of his so-called airtight alibis. I think the fact that most bodies found after Tina Farmer were basically skeletons goes a long way to say that he could have been connected to those killings. Now, I think in the case of the body in the refrigerator, it's clear that he was unable to have committed that crime. But again, these are multiple cases across multiple jurisdictions. And I think in any case where you have this multitude of victims, you're going to run into a lot of red herrings. So as true crime listeners... You guys know, the more cooks in the kitchen, the less likely you are to come up with a working recipe. So I feel like it would take a 
task force to determine which victims are connected to Johns and what victims are likely not. The problem is the whole case, the case of the Redhead murders, remains unsolved to this day. Tonight at 6, LEX 18 News on special assignment. Could be you, could be your neighbor or anybody. A bizarre cold case. Still unsolved uh, nearly 30 years later. An apparent serial killer targeting redheads, including one victim found in Knox County. They found a body in a refrigerator on the dump site. It was early April 1985. Josh Breslow investigates the redhead murders. LEX 18 News on special assignment. Tonight at 6. With the case remaining unsolved to this day, it is not hard to figure that we may never find resolution to who killed a lot of these victims. And unfortunately, when you have a criminal or a serial killer who is conscientious enough to commit crimes in a variety of jurisdictions, knowing that this throws a little bit of a wrench into the investigation itself, I just kind of think this serial killer is one step ahead of the investigation. Now, again, there are a lot of podcasts, books, uh, documentaries written about the interstates and how they basically attributed to the rise of serial killing in the United States of America. And that is very true because it did provide easy on and off access to states that may not have been accessible in previous years. But I will say that the redhead murders are unique in the sense that there are so many unidentified victims. And if they can identify more victims, they will be able to identify the killer. And I think with technology pretty much improving every day, I think we can at least put a little faith in the fact that they do have DNA and they do have the ability to check and see who these people are if those people are ever entered into a DNA database. Now, again, these are long shots, but, you know, you got to hold out hope on a case like this. So, again, I appreciate you guys joining me this week for the very unnerving case of the Redhead murders. And I really do hope you guys take a minute to research this case a little bit because, again, as I mentioned, the unknown victims, they still need to be identified. And there are a lot of families out there that really don't have answers. And all we can do is keep a spotlight on this case. And just like True Crime Chronicles did in their podcast, I'm trying to do the same thing here. And that is, again, bring attention to a case that otherwise may not have been covered. And again, this may be very popular in the region that the murders occurred, but for people up north and people in, you know, the Midwest, we're not as familiar with some of these southern killings, especially the ones that happened in the 70s and the 80s. So, again, please take the time to investigate this case. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. As I previously mentioned, I will be representing Who Killed and Who Killed Amy Maholovic, as well as my passion case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020. But this year, 
instead of it being at a venue, it is virtual. And we are calling this pandemic-related crime con House Arrest. And it will be held on November 21st from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And tickets can be purchased at crimecon.com slash housearrest. You can use my promo code, Amy2020, to save on your ticket price. If you guys enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support independent journalism by clicking on the Donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com or whokilledamymaholovic.com. And again, you can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3 or via PayPal with my email billhuffman123 at yahoo.com. I will also provide some links in the show notes. And I do want you to know that every contribution helps keeps these slow burn podcasts running. And I did receive a nice donation from a listener in Germany just this past week. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to support the show. Now, you can also keep the show in the spotlight by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your favorite shows. Again, those five stars help keep the important cases that I cover in the spotlight. Now, if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have in the pipeline, you can always follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And you guys, thank you so much again for tuning in this week. And until next time, be healthy and stay safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.